This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, Happy New Year. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm from the South. You know, you generally respond. I'll just go ahead and tell you this, all right? The more you talk to me, the shorter I'll preach, all right? The less engaged you are, the more I'm going to assume you're not getting it, so I have to try harder and preach longer, all right? That fair? Okay. All right. You got it, Austin? I'm, I'm, I'm watching for you, buddy. I know Austin's sister back in North Carolina. I'm going to give a report on his participation in worship tonight. Send your mom and daddy out here if you're not doing well. Well, Happy New Year. We're six days in. Six days in. Less than a week away from the fireworks and champagne toasts and midnight kisses. And I'm wondering how many of you have already abandoned your New Year's resolutions? How many of you have already given up or maybe you didn't even bother to make any? Uh, track record's not good, you know, just forget it. You know, it's a crazy time of year because uh, for many of us, we live in this sort of tension between hope and anxiety. We, we have inside of us a hope that maybe 2019 is going to bring good things to us. There are going to be some blessings that are going to come our way. There are going to be some long-awaited dreams that are going to be fulfilled. But the other side of that hope is this internal anxiety that says, maybe not. Maybe this won't be the year. In fact, maybe this year will be worse than last year, if that's possible. And so we have this internal sort of longing. But you see, we still get to the beginning of the year and we want to make resolutions and we want to set goals because there's something inside of us that, that thinks that life should get better. It should improve. And even as Christians, even as believers, as followers of Jesus, internally we know that God created us for abundant life, right? Don't we know that? Didn't Jesus say, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly? So even that in some ways takes the edge off of our anxiety or maybe no, not because we're wondering if we'll ever really experience that abundant life. Well, tonight... Uh, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that I think will help us understand what being blessed or favored by God really means. And it might not be what you think. If you've got a copy of the Scriptures, I want to encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to look at verses 22 to 31. But before we jump in, let me set the stage for you, okay? And I, you might be a little surprised when I walk through, give you the backstory, because this is going to sound a little bit more like a Jerry Springer show than the Bible. All right? Here we go. Jacob. Jacob is the youngest son of Isaac. He's the grandson of Abraham, the father of the people of God. Well, Jacob has made a mess for himself. He's swindled his brother out of his inheritance. And after doing that, he has to run off because he knows he's in danger. He knows his life is under threat. So he escapes his homeland and runs off to live with his uncle uh, to, to get away from his brother's revenge. And things are okay for a while until his uncle tricks him into marrying his older daughter when Jacob really wanted to marry the younger 
daughter. So now he's got two wives. Oh, well, after seven years of hard work, Jacob finally, finally gets to marry the younger daughter. But then he's got two wives and a whole lot of family drama. Well, with years of hard work and little show for it, Jacob plots to take the best of his uncle's flocks. So he devises this scheme by which he would take the best lambs from the flock. And after he's amassed a wealth of possessions and accumulated a great herd of livestock, and after his wives have had a bunch of kids, he decides it's time to exit and head back home before he loses everything. So he packs up and he leaves in the middle of the night. He doesn't even say goodbye. He doesn't run the grandchildren by their grandfather and let them kiss him on the cheek and say, see you, Grandpa. He just takes off. Well, his uncle slash father-in-law is not real thrilled with this. So he sets off to get Jacob, and I assume he's planned some sort of revenge. Well, fortunately for Jacob, God uh, warns Laban, his father-in-law, in a dream not to mess with Jacob. And... Uh, so it seems like disaster is averted. But as Jacob gets closer to home, uh, he's got a bigger problem. You see, word comes to him that Esau, his brother, uh, has still not gotten over being swindled out of his inheritance. And so Esau's coming after Jacob. And this time he's got 400 warriors with him. That can't be good. And Jacob is filled with fear. And that's where we are when we get to today's passage. So let's look at it together. And can I just say, if anybody says the Bible is boring, they're not reading what I'm reading. All right? Genesis 32, verse 22. Follow along with me. I'm reading from the New International Version. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. There are five truths that I think you and I can learn from this encounter that Jacob has with God. And the first one is this. God's heart is to do us good and to bless us. God's heart is to do us good and to bless us. You see, I've always read this story as if Jacob was the initiator. As, Jay, as if Jacob was the one who, who pursues God, who lays hold of God, who hangs on for dear life until God gives him a blessing. But you see, that's not exactly how it goes down. There are two problems with that notion. First, 
God started this, not Jacob. There's nothing here that suggests that Jacob is seeking after God. Actually, what Jacob's doing is he's trying to protect himself. God comes to Jacob. He presented himself as a man so Jacob could wrestle with him. You see, God's the initiator here. God's the one who's coming after Jacob. But the second problem with it is this. Implied in that interpretation is an errant view of God. You see, you and I, when we read it that way, as if Jacob is the initiator and he's the one trying to wrestle the blessing away from God, what that suggests is that God is resistant to bless, reluctant to do good. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Listen, before Jacob was even born, God promised to bless him. In Genesis 12, and again in Genesis 22, he makes the promises to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And in Genesis 26, we read where God appears, this time to Jacob's father, Isaac. And he assures him that he will be with him and bless him as he had promised to Abraham. And remarkably, God makes this same promise to Jacob. Genesis 29 records it for us. Verse 13, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's remarkable. That exposes the heart of God. God's dream is to bless. He dreams up blessing. He promises blessing. And he commits himself to fulfilling all that he's promised. But you see, that's obviously not how Jacob viewed God. And if often, if we're honest, it's not how we view him either. Too many of us are fearful that at some point, God's going to get us back for something we did in the past. We honestly don't trust him to do us good. But would you stop for just a second and think about how absurd that is? Romans 8.32 is one of my favorite verses, and it confronts that kind of attitude. It says this, He who did not spare his only son, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? You see, God's exposed his heart to us in the cross. His heart is to do us good and to bless us. And he proved it by sending Jesus. But the second truth flows right out of that one. Number two, God's dreams are better than ours. I'm going to say that again so it sinks in. God's dreams are better than yours. What God desires for you is better than what you desire for yourself. Listen, all Jacob wanted was a happy life. Jacob yearned for approval and acceptance. He wanted success and security in the abundance of stuff and things. Listen, y'all, he longed for pleasure and immediate gratification. 
But his dreams were all temporary and selfish and self-serving. But because we have the rest of the story, we know that God's intentions and desires for Jacob were so much better. Listen, he wanted Jacob to have confidence and hope. He wanted Jacob to know the joy and pleasure and satisfaction. But God knew that that was only possible when Jacob was surrendered to him. But more than that, God planned a blessing for all mankind that would come through Jacob. You see, if you trace Jacob's descendants, it will carry you to Jesus, the Savior of the world. He would come through the blessing that God had for Jacob. I, I wish I could make you hear this today. God's plans for you are far better than any plans you have for yourself. God's not out to withhold from you. In fact, what God wants for you is far better than anything you could imagine. In fact, we, we, many of us have memorized the verse, Ephesians 3, 21 and 22, and it says this, that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we could ask or imagine. It's not just his ability to do it, but it's his desire to do it. God also wants to bless you for a purpose that is, far, that is more far-reaching and long-lasting than your few short years here on earth. See, Psalm 67 reveals that to us. The prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 67 is this, May God be gracious to us and bless us, so that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. Listen, God wants to bless you so that you know his ways and his salvation. But he also wants to bless you so that others all over the world would know it too. Faith and trust are necessary. Listen, let's be honest. You may have to wait. And you may have to forego some of what you dreamed for yourself. You may have to let go of some of your self-serving, selfish, temporary dreams. But don't despair. God has planned a blessing for you. And his dreams are better than yours. So, God's heart is to do us good and bless us. God's dreams are better than ours. But number three is this. Real blessing might come with a limp. Look back at Genesis 32 with me. So, Jacob was left alone. This is verse 24. Genesis 32, 24. So, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When, he saw, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Jacob has pretty much gotten everything he thought he wanted. But he's not satisfied. He doesn't have a sense of security. And Jacob has finally come to the place where he knows he can't achieve or scheme or steal real blessing for himself. And he's desperate. He needs God. But what happens when he encounters God is not what he expected. You see, Jacob wanted God to add to the blessing. But the only thing Jacob walks away from this encounter with is a bum hip. Hip. 
The only thing he walks away with is a permanent disability. He doesn't get more or better. He actually gets less. But that wounding was actually a blessing. Because it would serve to remind Jacob for the rest of his life that he was absolutely dependent on God. Listen, every time, every time he tried to walk, he was taken back to this moment. This moment when God wrenched, sprained, knocked out of joint, damaged his hip. And this is the moment where Jacob realized that only God could truly bless. You see, God could have destroyed Jacob. Those verses are so startling to me. This is not a man Jacob is wrestling with. This is God himself. And it says, the man saw that he could not overpower him. Listen, God could overpower us at any moment. He could destroy us at any moment. God could give us what we deserve. But he won't do that. He can't do that. Because that's not what his heart is for us. You see, God could have destroyed Jacob, but instead of giving him what he deserved, God gave him mercy and blessing instead. And that limp became a constant reminder, a marker for the mercy of God. Can I be honest with you tonight? I'm not much different from Jacob. I would reckon that you're not either. I, I equate blessing with abundance and luxury and pleasure and success. Honestly, I think the blessed life is the absence of trouble and hardship and difficulty and disappointment and need. That's not my idea of blessing. To be brutally honest, my idea of the blessed life is one that doesn't need God or faith. Because I think blessing is really the absence of need. Does that make sense to you? You see, what most of us are looking for is not more of God. We're looking for more of what God can do for us. We're, we're not looking for his face. We're looking for his hands. We're not looking for relationship. We're looking for output. We're looking for God to work for us. And really what we're looking for is for God to, to give us something that will insulate us from anything that we think could harm or deprive us. But God, God's ideas and mine are very different. You see, blessing from God's viewpoint is more about what it produces and less about how it feels. You may already know this, but God is not interested in your independence. He wants you to live in dependence on him. He wants me to rely on him, not on what he gives. You see, some of what I call a blessing is really a curse because it feeds my idolatry. And often what I think is a curse is actually a great blessing because it forces me to rely on God. Um, 
I don't know how to illustrate this for you or identify this for you in a really personal way without scaring you to death. Um, because I know that many of you are, are single. Uh, some of you are young professionals and some of you are in college. And, and I, I know because I live around a bunch of college students and a, a bunch of uh, young professionals um, one of the overarching questions is, am I ever going to get married? Am I, am I going to be by myself forever? Um, so I lived with that for a long time, a really long time. You see, I didn't get married until I was 47. So I waited a long time, and I lived a long time with that question. But can I tell you that one of the things God had to do in me was he had to pry my hands loose from this notion that another person could make me whole or fulfill me. That another person could live up to my trust and my expectation. You see, God wanted me to learn to trust him to lean on him, to rely on him. And can I tell you that if God gave me everything I wanted when I wanted it, I would not learn that lesson. Because I would transfer my trust to what God gives. Does that resonate? Um, I told Mike, I didn't know whether to tell you this story or not, because I, I don't know how many of you can, can resonate with this. But I recently had... Uh, some time with uh, a guy that I, I meet with. We meet about every other week uh, early in the morning and share and pray together, talk about what we're learning in God's Word. It's a, it's, a, it's a formative part of my own discipleship. It's necessary for me to hear what God's doing in another man's life and let him speak into me and, and I get the chance to share it. And when you share what God is teaching, you know what happens? It becomes more real to you. It sort of drives it down into your heart. Every time you speak it, every time you articulate the word of God, it, it drives it further down into you. And recently we were, we were having breakfast and we were talking and this friend of mine has been married 17 years and uh, they've struggled for 17 years with infertility with wanting uh, a child. And uh, so he told me that they went away on a little overnight to celebrate their anniversary. And he said, Chris, we, we talked about, you know, what were the good things that have happened in our 17 years of marriage? And he said, we both agreed, hands down, that the best thing that had happened to us in 17 years of marriage was infertility. Y'all, I, I, I kind of pushed back a little bit and sort of surprised by that. How could the struggle, the longing, the unfulfilled longing, how could that be the greatest blessing? And he, he, you know what he said to me? He said, Chris, he said, you know, the infertility is how Morgan, his wife, came back. To Christ. He said, the infertility is what drove me to seek Christ in the first place. And he said, it's the infertility that's taught us what it means to be desperate and to cry out to God. You see, sometimes, sometimes 
blessing isn't what we expect. And the greatest blessings are the ones that lead us to dependence on God, not independence from Him. Can I tell you that the last few years for, I, I want to drive this home with you, okay? I, th I think I got enough time. I don't know how I'm doing, but I told, I told Mike, I'm a 45-minute preacher. And uh, he told me I had 30 minutes. I was like, that'll be a miracle. Um, you know, it's kind of reverse, you know, the feed the 5,000 out of uh, five loaves and two, fi two fish and five loaves, whatever it is. It's, we got to go the other way. Um, the last few years... Um, uh, have been kind of financially difficult for my, for my wife and I. And uh, we, um, I, I don't give you the whole backstory, but anyway, it's been a, it's been a real challenge. And, um, you know, what I realized is that, you know, I'm dependent. And I do trust God. Uh, but I realized that I want God to give it all to me at once. Um, again, I'm, I don't know if I'm speaking like, a language you guys can understand or not. We, we bought a house. We bought a money pit. That's a movie from the 90s. Maybe some of y'all have seen it. Uh, I'm sure it was before you were born, but, you know. Um, we bought a money pit, and it just, it has sucked everything out of us. I still need, we still need a new HVAC system. We need a new roof, and uh, our, our siding is, I mean, we need, we, we got about $60,000 worth of repairs just to keep the house from falling apart. And, uh, I mean, you know, the, the heat still works, and the roof's not leaking yet, and the siding hasn't fallen off. So we don't need it immediately. But, but I realize I, I want God to give that to me in a lump sum. Like, I, I trust him, but I want, I, I want to see the money, right? Show me the money. There's another movie reference. Y'all seen that one? Am I just, okay, Jerry Maguire. Okay, somebody at least knows what it is. It must be on Netflix or something. I don't know. All right. So I realize I want God to give it to me all at once, right? I want it in the bank so that when the problem comes, I know it's covered. You know what God wants? I think God wants me to step up to the need and wait for him to supply when I need it, not before. You see, because God's trying to create in me and lead me to dependence when I want independence. I tell people all the time, I like the idea of faith. I just don't want to need it. I like the idea of trust. I just don't want to be in a position where I have to. But you see, God is not trying to lead me to independence. God's trying to lead me to dependence. And y'all, that's a great blessing. All right, number four. Other people cannot prevent God's plans to bless us. Other people can't mess up God's plan to bless you. Listen, Jacob's brother and his father-in-law were out to get him. Did they succeed? No. No. They wanted to take Joseph's, Jacob's life. They wanted to end his line. They wanted to wipe out everything. But God ensured that the blessing he had for Jacob was carried on and fulfilled. You see, Jacob lived his whole life in fear. He thought other people had the ability to bless or worse yet, the power to curse him. He was anxious and afraid about everybody and everything. 
Listen, Jacob knew what God had said about him. He, God appeared to him. Jacob had this experience. God appeared to him and he said to him, I'm with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. He had a face-to-face -face encounter with God and God said, look, I promise. I'm going to see it. I'm going to make it happen. But Jacob wanted that blessing, but obviously he didn't trust God to complete it. He discounted the promises of God and that led to fear and insecurity. Listen to me, it always has and it always will. When you and I refuse to believe the promises of God, it will always lead to fear and insecurity. I want you to look at me tonight. If you're experiencing undue fear and insecurity, I will tell you categorically it is because you are not believing the promises of God. It's because you're not laying hold to what God has said about you. You see, what you're believing is what the enemy says. And you know what the enemy says? He's been saying the same thing since the beginning of time. You know where temptation started? What did, what did the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? Did he really promise you? Did he really say he would be with you? Did he really say that nothing would separate you from the love he has for you in Christ Jesus? Did he really say that he would provide for you? Did God really say? You see, God has made for, to us, the scriptures record over 3,000 promises. I want to ask you tonight, which ones of those are you believing, trusting, and relying on today? Which ones have you staked your future on? This is God's word about me and for me and to me. Listen, if you expect to live with confidence, you better saturate with yourself with the word of God. Filling your mind and heart with what God has promised to do in you and for you. If you think you're going to move to a place of confidence and security based on your circumstances and your abilities, I just got to tell you, it ain't going to happen. And you know that instinctively, right? This is where you talk back to me. You know that, right? You do know that. Even though you're young, life has already told you, you can't count on yourself. You will let yourself down in a minute. You know this. Your health can be gone just like that. Your job can be gone like that. You've probably had people in your life who have already abandoned you. Your confidence and security cannot be placed in temporal and temporary things. It absolutely has to be placed in the promises of God for you. But listen to me. Nobody can stop what God wants to do in you and for you. Other people absolutely cannot prevent God's plans to bless you. They just can't. Romans 8. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Number five, your past sin does not disqualify you from the blessing of God. This might be one of the most hopeful truths we can learn from the life of Jacob. Y'all, this guy 
was a selfish schemer. He spent his whole life deceiving and lying to get his way. He was a thief of the worst kind. He robbed his own family. And you know what? God saw him and he knew him, but he planned to bless him anyway. What kind of God does that? What kind of God looks ahead and sees all of your failure, all of your rebellion, all of your sin, and still makes a plan to bless you? Please understand this. Look at me. God hates your sin. God hates your sin, and his wrath against sin is very real. It is not pretend. It is not make-believe. God hates sin so much that he sacrificed his only son so that you and I would not have to suffer the just punishment for our sin. Let me ask you this. How much do you have to hate sin to sacrifice the life of your only son? But sin carries natural consequences. And that's not punishment. It's just the natural byproduct of, your poor, of our poor choices. But that does not put you and I outside the gracious goodness of God. Would you think about this for a minute? David, King David. You remember him? Wrote the Psalms, identified as a man after God's own heart. David gave in to lust and slept with another man's wife. Then he had her husband murdered to cover up his sin. Peter, you remember Peter? The disciple, Peter? Peter denied Christ three times in the matter of just a few hours. And Paul, what about Paul? You heard about him? Paul made a career out of persecuting and murdering Christians. You see that? All of them. And many more just like them sinned badly. Y'all, these weren't JV level sins. These are varsity sins. This is professional level sinning right here. But they repented. And they returned to God. And he blessed them greatly. And church, that is good news for us because it was not their sinless perfection that made them candidates for the blessing of God. It was their willingness to repent and be restored to God. You don't have to be perfect for God to bless you. You just have to repent. You have to return. You have to humble yourself. God hates your sin, but he loves you, and he wants to bless you. That's why Jesus came. He lived the perfect life, but stood in our place and received the curse of sin so that we could live. Some of my favorite verses are Isaiah 53, says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How do I know that your sin doesn't disqualify you from the blessing of God? I know it on the basis of the cross of Jesus. See, 1 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who, know, who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The cross, the cross, my friends, is the surest picture that you and I have of the heart of God to bless us and do us good. And it is the most tangible reminder we have that our sin does not disqualify us and other people can't block it and God's dreams are better than ours because he wants to restore us to himself. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.